today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. People might look down on her because of who she was. She was a prostitute. She was a harlot. Well, let me tell you something. Our God demonstrates His power in people who are sold out to Him. And it doesn't matter what your past is. He is the one who is able to write your future. It does not matter what your past is. Our God is the one, when we commit ourselves to Him... He is the one who will write our future. Our past does not determine our future. Today we will learn the incredible story of Rahab, a prostitute that trusted the Lord enough to put her very life on the line. She was even mentioned in the New Testament as an example of great faith. Pastor David will teach us about God's redemptive work. Along with so many other sinners, we will find Rahab in the family line of Jesus. When we allow God to lead us, He brings healing and redirects our paths. He uses people with stains and failures, people like each of us. Now here's Pastor David with today's message entitled, Our God Goes Before Us. People might look down on her because of who she was. She was a prostitute. She was a harlot. But let me tell you something. Our God demonstrates his power in people who are sold out to him. And it doesn't matter what your past is. He is the one who is able to write your future. It does not matter what your past is. Our God is the one, when we commit ourselves to Him, He is the one who will write our future. And a lot of people try to write our future for us based on our past. Our God, in the greatness of who He is, in His might, in His power, can take what seems to be the evident future of our lives, and He can change it completely by His might and by His power when we, as His people, commit and submit our lives to Him. Rahab was a prostitute. She was a harlot. There's absolutely no doubt about that. There's no whitewashing it. There's no cleaning it up. There's no making it nice and neat and tidy. She was who she was. But that was past tense. God is changing her life. And God is beginning it even here. It's interesting. That's why in Hebrews 11... The great hall of faith, Rahab the harlot, is listed there. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, he says, By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. All the way into the New Testament, this woman from the Old Testament, this one woman who made that much difference simply because she trusted God enough to put her very life on the line. 
She put her life on the line, saved the life of these two spies, and kept quiet about everything. And so when we'll read when we get there that God spared not only her life, but the life of her family. When James, again, in the New Testament, when James begins writing about what true faith looks like and the need that there is evidence of works within our faith, he uses Rahab, the prostitute, as an example of what faith with works looks like. In James chapter 2, verse 25, we read, Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? What an awesome thing. Again, twice. But one of the greatest listings that we have of Rahab was when she was listed as one of the women within the bloodline of our Savior. That is totally awesome. She was the mother of Boaz, who was the father of Obed, who was the father of Jesse, who was the father of King David in the bloodline of the Savior. The whole list is just absolutely amazing. Uh, Rahab in, in the bloodline. But a little bit earlier on before her, there was Tamar. And, and Tamar was the daughter-in-law of Judah. And remember, uh, Judah's son, Tamar's husband, died. And they didn't have any children. And there was a little bit of sneakery going on in there. But Judah went into her and had an incestuous relationship with her. She bore twins. One of those becomes in the bloodline of the Savior. Tamar in that kind of a situation. One of the other ones that's listed within the bloodline of the Savior, Matthew lists her as the wife of Uriah the Hittite. We know her as Bathsheba. And then we see all these things. Bathsheba, the one who, again, David had this adulterous affair and who David, even David himself, who was an adulterer and a murderer, murdered her husband through all these things, through the bloodline of a Savior. I love that it's not neat. It's not tidy. It's not pretty. It's not something that you and I would devise. We want to go through our own bloodlines, don't we, sometimes? and kind of Well, we want to kind of take that branch off of the family tree, and we're going to do a little pruning over here. But you know what? For the family tree of the Savior, it's all out there. Why? Because our past does not determine our future when God is involved in our lives. When we allow Him to lead us and direct us, not only does He bring forgiveness, but he brings healing and he brings redirection in our lives. We need to be that kind of a people that rather than allowing the enemy to continually beat us down and knock us down because of our past, because of the failings of the past, or when we look at other people that we're not bringing other people down, but that we're lifting them up, that we're encouraging them because we serve a great and a mighty and a powerful God who is able to take the least of us and, yes, even the worst of us and raise us up. And use us for his glory. Who would have thought, really and truly, if you didn't know anything about the Bible, and you came and you told the story of of this harlot by the name of Rahab who ran this little house there in Jericho. No, oh, and then Tamar, you know, this gal, she has this relationship with her father-in-law. and She has twins with that. Wow, you know, it's really gross and yucky. And then Bathsheba has this relationship with the king. And then even David himself who murders her husband. Who would have thought that God would have, God could have, used these kinds of things 
within his plan, within his direction. You say, oh, wait, that wasn't really his plan, was it? He didn't really plan to use these kinds of people. Well, we could argue that probably all night and all day and not come to a final conclusion on that. The thing that I do see is that our God does use those kinds of people. He uses people just like you and me. He uses people with chips and cracks and stains and failures. He uses people who have issues of life that they battle with maybe for years and years. And yet God is able to use them. Why? Because, beloved, it's not the vessel. It is the treasure that is within the vessel. And if we would keep that in mind, if we would keep that understanding, then you know what? We're not going to be putting down a brother or sister. We're going to be encouraging that brother or sister. We're not going to be allowing the enemy to beat us up and and to say we're of no value and of no use. No, because we know, hey, you're absolutely right. I'm nothing but clay. And you know what clay is? It's just a bag of dirt with water thrown on it. And I'm just a bag of dirt with water thrown on it. But you know what? This vessel contains a great treasure. And that's the work of God in my life. And that's what our God does. That's what he shows us within his word. We look at these things in every situation. Our God deals with our past by rewriting our future. So the men, as they're lowered down over the wall there through her window, they give one last word as they're let down. Verse 17. So the men said to her, We will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you bring your father and your mother and your brothers and all your father's household into this home, so that it will be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the streets, his blood will be on his own head and will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house... His blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, then we'll be free from your oath, which you made us swear. And then she said, according to your words, so be it. And then she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet cord in the window. What about that signal that she was to give? Here, tie this white flag outside your window wasn't a white flag, was it? It was a scarlet cord. Why in the world would it be a scarlet cord? If you think about it in the process of things, it really doesn't make any sense. Why didn't they say, hey, hang this yellow cord, hang this blue cord, hang this white cord? They said, hang this scarlet cord. This is the Old Testament, gang. They don't know anything about the blood of Jesus. They have the blood of the Lamb at Passover. But I wonder for myself, is this these guys saying this? Or is this the Holy Spirit through these guys saying, not a yellow cord, not a white cord, make it a scarlet cord? Because that scarlet cord does speak of the smearing of the blood over the doorpost there at Passover. And it speaks of the shedding of the blood of our Savior. And we see this through the Word supernaturally. This isn't something that you could plan or design. 
This is something that God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, spoke through these men. Here, tie this scarlet cord, because that scarlet cord is what's going to save you. When we see the blood, we'll pass by. When we see the scarlet cord, we'll pass by. Just as that pass at the uh, death angel there in Egypt, when he sees the blood, he will pass over. And just for you and I, the same thing. When we're washed in the blood of the Lamb, that scarlet blood of the Lamb, the judgment is no longer against us. When we are washed with the blood of the Lamb, when again judgment comes, we'll be saved in the midst of it, right in the midst of it all. Now, I believe that the Lord's going to take us out of here. I believe that that's how he's going to save us. I believe that he's going to rapture the church just before the full wrath of God comes out. I have absolutely no doubt about that. But for those who may doubt about the rapture and you think, no, we're going to stay through all of this. Well, the thing that I do know in the midst of all of this, when we look all the way back to Noah, God preserved Noah in the midst of his judgment. How? By putting them in the ark and he floated literally over the judgment of God. We see the children of Israel in the land of Egypt. And as God was bringing judgment on the children of Egypt, the children of Israel were protected. They were covered. When it came time for the firstborn of every household to die, both animal as well as human, then again it was the blood of the Lamb spread on the doorpost. The judgment of God came into that area, but those that were under the blood, they were preserved. I believe my whole heart, I believe what the Word of God says, our God is a God that will bring judgment on this world. One more time, a great judgment is going to come. It's not going to be by a flood. It's going to be total annihilation of this world. But I also believe that because of the promise of the Word of God, both Old Testament and New, that we as believers were not appointed to the wrath of God but that God will preserve us. Does that mean that you and I aren't going to go through tribulation? That doesn't mean that at all. Because if we don't go through more tribulation before the Lord comes, man, I'm going to be ashamed to talk to those who've been beheaded, those whose families have been destroyed in other parts of this world for the cause of Christ. Because my walk has been so easy, and there's been so many times that I've come right to the point of nearly denying my Lord just by the way that I live or the things that I don't say when I should say them. Is there a possibility that we might go through great trial? Absolutely. I look at the city of Jericho, absolutely annihilated, totally destroyed. And yet God preserved Rahab's house and all that was there. We read in the later chapters how the city of Jericho came tumbling down, a total ruin. The people perished. Everything destroyed except for the house of the harlot named Rahab, who was saved from that utter destruction. Why? Because she had that scarlet cord tied outside of her window, a symbol of her faith in the God of Israel. What does verse 22 say? Then they, speaking of the spies, they departed and they went to the mountain. They stayed there three days until the pursuers returned. The pursuers sought them all along the way, but they did not find them. 
So the two men returned. They descended from the mountain and crossed over. They came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all that had befallen them. And they said to Joshua, Truly, the Lord has delivered all of the land into our hands, for indeed all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. Quite a bit of a different story, isn't it, compared to those spies that went out 40 years earlier? The spies say, oh, we can't go in there. The giants, the walls, we're so little, we're so helpless. These two guys come out and says, oh, man, these guys, they're defeated already. They're faint-hearted already. They come back and they speak again about how their God was going to be able to deliver them because the people had already seen what the God of the Hebrews could do. Therefore, they were already afraid. Maybe it was a good thing that they waited 40 years. I don't know. Because now they saw all the defeats. Now, because I believe that God could have given them just as easily the victory if they had gone 40 years ago, if they had gone in obedience, they would have crossed that Jordan. God would have fought the battle for them just as easily. If the people had responded in faith rather than fear, God would have defeated the enemy even then. If the people had, again, responded in obedience rather than sin, God would have knocked down the enemy just as he told them that he would do when he gave them that promised land 40 years ago. If the people had lived their lives in a way, again, with the knowledge of the greatness and of the power and of the majesty of the God that they serve, if they would have lived their lives with that knowledge, they would have been able to go into that land 40 years ago and seen the might and the majesty of Almighty God. But because they didn't, because they moved in fear rather than faith, it took 40 years, it took a whole other generation to be able to come into the promise. Because they responded with sin rather than obedience. They didn't get the blessings of what God had prepared for them for 40 years from one generation to the next. Because they really didn't believe or understand the greatness, the majesty, and the might of who Jehovah God is. They feared because there were roadblocks in the way. And so it caused them to stop and not pursue the things that God had given them. How about you tonight? It's amazing to me when I think about the children of Israel, and it's really easy to pick on the children of Israel, isn't it? I mean, we can look at them and say, come on, guys, look at all that you got going for you, and you didn't do this? I mean, God wiped out the chariots, the whole army of Pharaoh. Are you kidding me? I mean, he parted the Red Sea. How cool, how powerful is that? So you could cross on dry land, you and all the old women with you, all the babies with you, all your cattle with you, everything. And then he destroyed Pharaoh and his army. And you're, you, you don't think that he can take care of you? You got out into the wilderness and you're hungry. And so what did he do? He gave you manna from heaven. Every morning you could go out. Okay, it's, it's not a Egg McMuffin, but it's manna. And, and you're not dying and he's providing for you. You got thirsty. He gave you water out of a rock. You didn't know which way to go. And so he gave you clouds by day and a pillar of fire by night. All of these things. God spoke and shook the mountains for you. And he gave you his truth. He gave you his word. He gave you his law. And you still didn't and believe him. You came to the point of going into that land and he said, but there's giants. 
but there's going to be a battle there, and I don't know if I can win in that battle. Can I give you a heads up? You and me both, okay? I'm going to throw myself in there with you. You can't win the battle. But your God can. But your God can. And He will. When you and I get it in our brains, get it in our hearts, and get it in our understanding that the very God who parted the Red Sea, who fed the children there in the wilderness, who gave them the manna, the water in the desert, the one who, with the pillar of fire and the clouds, the one who defeated a multitude of other armies while they were there in the wilderness, that same God is the same God today. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You look in your own life. Let's look at our own lives, the past of what we've seen God work and do in our lives. Have we had problems in our life? Have we had defeats in our life? Yes, we have. But so did the children of Israel. But why did most of those defeats come to the children of Israel? I can tell you why nearly every one of them came to them. Because they either moved in fear or they moved in disobedience or they moved with a lack of knowledge of the greatness of who God was and they tried to do it themselves rather than allow God to do it for them. And I I would dare say that for you and I, the battles that we fight, that we lose in, that we don't gain the victory in, it's because of our fear, because of our disobedience, or because of our lack of understanding and trust that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ever think or imagine. And why don't I trust him instead of trying to do it on my own might, on my own strength, on my own understanding? If I could rest in him. And isn't that what he says to do? Rest in me. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. Man, my yoke is easy. My burden's light. Come and I'll give rest to your souls. Jesus says, man, I give you peace. Not like the world gives. What kind of peace does the world give? The only kind of peace that the world gives is peace in the midst of no struggle. Okay, If I'm not fighting, then I can have peace. That's world's peace. The peace that God gives is peace in the midst of struggle, peace in the midst of battle. Because in the midst of the battle, we know who our God is. We know the greatness and the might and majesty and the power and the authority of who our God is. Why? Because just as Rahab said, our God is the only God in all of heaven and on earth beneath. There's none greater than him. And the cool thing is, is he loves us. He loves us. He's called us to himself. Rather we be harlots, prostitutes, murderers, thieves, deceivers, zealots, whatever the case may be, whatever the situation might be. There's no sin that's so great but that the blood of Christ doesn't cleanse it 100% and completely. There's no failure in your life or in my life but that God is able to rewrite our future even in the midst of our failures when we trust and when we walk in him. Rahab was willing to put everything on the line because this Gentile woman harlot okay let's figure it man for a Jew that's about as bad as you're going to get okay she had the faith to believe that the God of Israel was able to do what they declared and said that he would do. How about us?
hope that today's edition of The Open Word has been a blessing to you. If you live in the Casa Grande, Arizona area, we want to invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on The Open Word are produced from worship services at Calvary Chapel, Casa Grande. Maybe the teaching you heard is exactly what you were looking for in a church. Then please join us. We have services on Saturday evenings and two Sunday morning worship services, as well as other services throughout the week. For more information about service times, including driving directions, log on to theopenword.com and then follow the link to the church website. Now here's Tracy with some more important information about how you can help support The Open Word. Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. And as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. Today's broadcast was professionally produced, and God has given us a vision to see The Open Word expand into other parts of the world. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to TheOpenWord.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow. Thanks, Tracy. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in, and may God richly bless you.